All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So if you were here, you know, sometimes I wonder how many people are here when we do the intro video. Um, but a lot of times we say the same thing. Hey, welcome to the main campus. Welcome to those who are joining us online. But I don't want you to forget the scope or the impact that our online community is happening. 30 states and six countries. I mean, that's way more than just watch it on vacation, right? And that was always the plan is, is it was never just like, oh, we're going to have something so that when somebody goes on vacation, they can stay connected. It always was this. We believed that we could reach a generation of people, and we believed that we could reach a multitude of people by putting together an online church. And so, uh, again, for you guys that are joining us online, we, we love you guys and, and love that you're a part of our community. And like Nick said, get connected. We want to be praying for you and encouraging you just like we do here at the main campus. But as a church, don't forget there's a whole nother church out there, you know, worshiping with us this morning and again across the United States and in other countries. All right, so uh, we're at the end. Like Nick said, we're ending up with this heaven series. You know, essentially it was the idea that we're at the end, and at the end of Revelations, it's the culmination of everything, meaning that, you know, the, the, the final judgment that's coming, we know that people are going to spend eternity in hell, and people are going to spend eternity in heaven. And so we talked about hell. What did hell look like? And then we talked about last week this idea of well, what's the intermediate heaven look like and what is it that we can know about that? So intermediate heaven, just brief description from what we talked about last week. Intermediate heaven meaning that if you died today before the return of Jesus Christ, okay? Does that make sense? So if you die today before the return of Jesus for the second time, you will go to the intermediate heaven. Now, What's important about that is what I want you to hear is it's not like you're going to this place where you're doing nothing and you're just floating around and there's nothing to do. Like there is purpose and there are things going on in the media, intermediate heaven, but it is not your final home, right? And we're going to see that next week, right? So next week when we get together, it's going to be there's a new earth, Jesus comes back, and there's a new earth that's created or an earth that's restored, and we will reign forever, forever with him on that earth, and we'll be talking about what will that look like, what will you be doing. But in the intermediate heaven, I wanted to give you a picture of what was going on. So we cleared up some misconceptions last week about what happens right after you die, but I wanna reemphasize what does happen if you die today or what has happened to your loved ones if they've passed on. What can we be guaranteed if they were a believer? What are they doing, right? So one of the things that we know is that they're worshiping. Right, so last week we talked about this, that the people in heaven are worshiping, and again, we can just be guaranteed whether you don't like to sing here, you know, if you're not one of those people, you know, you're not really a singer in church, and you're not really a worshiper, you're going to be a worshiper someday, and here's my guess, even if your voice sucks like mine, it's not going to suck there, right, like you're going to have a good voice, and it's going to be all together, and the things are going to be good, and we don't have to worry about those types of things, so we're all going to be able to worship together. The other thing that we know is, is that they're watching, right? Now, I think this is hard for people to understand because, you know, the first reaction is, do they see everything, right? Like, like everything and everything that we do. Well, here's one of the things that we know. We know because in Revelation 6, it talks about the martyrs, you know, that were under the table that cry out to God. Here's what we know based upon that scripture, right? We know that they do see, to a certain extent, what's happening on this earth, 
right? So they do, if people are in the intermediate heaven, we know that they're getting some sort of a view of what's going on on this earth today. So we would know that if you have loved ones to pass, on, pass away or, you know, when you get to that point that you will have some sort of a view of what's happening down here. To the extent of that, you know, we can't really know, but we do know this is that in that they would see it and when they see it, it made them emotional, right? Like there's emotions up there. They were like, seriously, like this is terrible, God. And when are you going to do something about it? Right? So it wasn't just that they saw it and they were just kind of monotone and there wasn't any emotion that got with it. They saw the tragedy of what was happening on the earth and with emotion, they cried out in a loud voice to God. Right, So we know that they're seeing things and with seeing things, there's emotion up there that goes with it. And emotions that are up there aren't all happy emotions. Are we tracking with that? Like I think there's this misconception sometimes that you're gonna go to the intermediate heaven and you're not gonna be like, oh, wow, what's happening here isn't good. Right? We know that there isn't gonna be sin and we know all of that, but I think this emotional thing we, we don't truly look at. So in it, we know that they're gonna be worshiping, we know that they're gonna be watching, and the other thing, they're gonna be waiting, right? Here's what we know about the people that are in heaven today, in the immediate heaven. They're looking at what's going on on this earth, and when they see the global scope of the tragedy that's happening on the world today, and seeing the pain that's happening in the lives of people, you know what their first response is? Get it over with. Put an end to all the pain, put an end to all the suffering, put an end to all of those things that are happening because they're now getting a view that sometimes we don't have, right? Now, you know, speaking into this, some of you have experienced tragedy in a way that you would say the same thing, get it over with, or are experiencing tragedy in a way that you would say, get it over with, right? Life is too difficult. I'm watching these people suffer. I don't wanna see them suffer anymore. Jesus, if you came back, it would all be done, right? Some of you experience that. Some of us, you know, at times in our life, when it comes to hurt, like when we see hurt in the world, we either turn off the TV or turn away from it because you don't wanna know what's going on. Like you wanna know, but you don't really wanna know because it's out of sight, out of mind. Maybe, right? Like you see it and you're like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know it because it's hard enough or I'm living in this little world that I've created myself and inside of this world I can manage things. But when you see the things that are going on outside of the world, you know, or outside of your scope, you're like, oh, I don't want to see it. You know, just like, you know, I thought about this is that when I traveled over to India, one of the times they had um, this house where they rescued women out of the, the red light district, you know, and they rescue these women because their, their parents sell these girls into sex slavery, you know, and in sex slavery, you know, they sit inside of these rooms where guys just come in repeatedly day after day after day after day over and over and over again and have sex with them until they die, right? Like that's what's going on. And so they rescue some of these girls out of that. And to see these women, it was like, oh my gosh, like it's terrible, right? And now sex slavery has come to the United States, Right? And what are we doing? Right? Like, where do you hear about it? And how are we talking about it? And what are we doing about it? And I think we just want to be, it's not happening to my daughter. It's not happening to my daughter. So I don't really care. Anybody? Right? Like, it's not happening to me. So what's going to happen is they're seeing what's happening all over and they're not hidden from it. And so they're saying, you know what? God, when are you going to put it to an end? 
Right, so in the intermediate heaven, they're waiting for those things to happen because they want the, the suffering and the tragedy to be over with. So that's intermediate. What we're gonna talk about from now on, this week and next week, is final judgment, which is Jesus is coming back and there is this final judgment, right? There is this idea that we as Christian people will have judgment in the end and inside of that final judgment, we then will be judged and, and for our salvation and then judged how you're going to spend eternity. Now, Here's something that I think is important, and I think you'll see this, and I'll refer to it as we get to the Matthew verse. One of the things that I think Jesus is specifically intentional about in the Olivet Discourse is giving you a layout of what you're going to be judged for so that the decisions that you make on this earth, that you will make it intentionally around the idea of what you're going to be held accountable for. Does that make sense? Because it's human nature. It's like human nature says, if I'm going to be judged for these things or I'm going to be held accountable for these things, we tend to make decisions based upon what you're going to be held accountable for. Right? Isn't that human nature? Like if you know somebody's going to check up with you, right? Like you naturally make decisions. So what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse that we're going to get to is, I'm going to tell you what that day is going to be like so that the decisions that you make today reflect what you're going to be held accountable for someday. Right? So we're going to look at that in a way that helps us understand what is to come because understanding judgment will also help us understand eternity or understand what we're going to talk about next week, which is the newer. So two scriptures that we're going to be looking at today, Acts 17, and then we'll be going back to the Olivet Discourse and be looking at Matthew 25. So Acts 17, starting in verse 30, here's what he says. It says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, right? So he's, he's like, wake up. That's the whole story of Revelations. Like, you need to wake up and you need to repent. And here's the reason that you need to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with a justice by the man who he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So he just puts a picture out there and he said, if you didn't think that you'll be held accountable for your actions on this earth, you're going to be held accountable. And here's who's going to be your judge, Jesus. Right? So Jesus is going to be your judge someday when it comes to final judgment. And that's why when we go to the the Matthew 25 And uh, all of that discourse, I think it's good to say, okay, so if Jesus is going to be our judge, what does Jesus say we're going to be judged for, right? And how does that work so that we can then understand it and then with that make a difference from that? So again, if you got a Bible, go to Matthew 25. That's going to be the place that we're going to look. Now, here's what I want you to focus on when we go through Matthew 25. So to understand judgment, you have to understand opportunity, Does that make sense? So if you want to understand what you're going to be judged for, then you need to understand the opportunity that God gave you or is giving you because you're going to be judged for that opportunity, right? So if he gives you these opportunities, then you'll be judged for what you did based upon those opportunities and how we did with those things. Now, here's what you're going to see in Matthew 25. Direct responsibility. So he's going to say, You're going to be held accountable for these things, and you're going to have to make a plan if you want to fix it, and it's not going to naturally happen. That's what you're going to see. The first part of Matthew 25 is 
People aren't going to naturally do the first thing that we talk about, right? The first thing in Matthew 25, you're not going to naturally do it, so you're going to have to have a plan. So you're going to have to directly do something to offset what, what we naturally do. Then the latter part of Matthew 25 is, so once you see I got to put a plan in place, as you put the plan in place, your heart tends to change. That's the thing that you're going to see. I think for most of us, you could attest to this. If you've been a Christian for a while, each year you tend to get stripped down just a little bit more, right? Some of that selfishness, some of those things that are going on, like you just keep getting stripped down and we keep growing in our faith and we keep going down those roads. And so what Jesus does at the end of it is as we're stripping these things away, right? And as we're taking these things away, this is how you're naturally going to respond as a Christian person. And... Here's the one thing. So if, if you've sat through the Revelation series, you might be like everybody else. So a lot of different people who sat through the Revelation series have come up to me afterwards. You're like, I know I shouldn't say this, but after these messages, I'm wondering whether I'm saved or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you listen to it and you're like, if this is really the responsibility, holy crap, I don't know that I'm like doing what I need to do. So here's the other thing that I love about Jesus. Jesus says, well, if you want an assurance of your salvation, I'll give you one, right? So if you wanna know if the decision that you made was authentic, because we already know that some people make decisions and they're not authentic and they're gonna stand in front of Jesus and he's gonna say, I don't know you, right? Like we know that, right? Like we already know that there are gonna be people who said they made a decision and Jesus is gonna say, I don't know who you are. So if you want an assurance of the decision that you said that you made is real, I'll give you an assurance and you'll be able to see that because it's how you react and the things that happen inside of your heart, right? So let's go to Matthew 25 and let's look at those opportunities. So Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. And again, we're looking at, or what Jesus is doing is telling a story about what is to come so that you can understand what you're going to be judged for so the decisions you make today will make a difference for eternity. Good? Okay, so Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another he gave two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, again, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard tons of people preach on this uh, you know, scripture and talk about it, and I get it, but I wanna make sure that you Think about it in the context of what Jesus was trying to do. So in the Olivet Discourse, when he taught this, it was to prepare them for what was to come and know that the decisions that you're making today are gonna have an effect on how you're gonna spend eternity, right? So with that in mind, here's what I want you to see. He says in this, the man, Jesus, is gonna go away on a journey, Right, so that's the easy part. So we know the man is Jesus. He's gonna go away on a journey and we know that that man's gonna come back, but he says he entrusted something to them, right? So he entrusted something to them and then he wants them to do something with what he entrusted to them. Now, here's what I want you to see. Right? Now, I, again, I am reading into this part of it, but I think it'll make sense once we you know, unpack it together. So what is it that God entrusts to us here on this earth that it's the only thing that we can do here that we can't do someday in heaven? Think about this. So when you go to heaven, this is the thing that I want you to think about. When you go to heaven, you can still be in relationship with people, you can still you know, be around people, you can still have fun, you can still fellowship, you can still sing, you can still do all those things. But what is it here on this earth that can't be done in heaven? 
the salvation of people, right? The reason that you are here on this earth is he's entrusting you with something that can't get done later on, right? And that something is the salvation of mankind, right? And he says, and this is the part that I'm reading into, he says that he's entrusted us, some with five, some with four, some with one, or some with two and some with one. So here's the thought that I would have. I think it starts with what he entrusts with us is things being people, because people are the only thing that matters in the end, right? Everything else is burning up. Like you can create a great business and you have a lot of money and you can have a lot of resources and you have a lot of assets. You can do all those things. But at the end of the day, all of that stuff's burnt up. So he's not really entrusting you with any of those things at the end of the day unless it was surrounded with people, right? Because people are the only thing that matters in the end. So with people, he would say, for some, I gave the influence of five, right? But here's what you're going to see, right? With that five, what did you do? Right, because it can't just be, oh, I was with those five people and I discipled them, right? Because I think this has become something that gets weird in, in church talk sometimes. I took these five people and I discipled them. I was like, did those five people reach five more? Then you didn't disciple them. Discipleship is not based upon how much you know about the Bible. Discipleship is what you do with what you heard. Right, And too many times inside of the church, we're going to be like, God gave me these five people and these five people. I, I say the same thing for your kids. You know, he gave you your kids and you taught them a lot about the Bible and they know Bible stories. Big whoop. What are they doing with it? Right? Like, what are they doing with it? Are they going out and reaching? Did you teach them to be, you know, an evangelist? Did you teach them to care about their friends? Did you teach them to go out or did you just teach them to be more knowledgeable and more religious? Right? Because the tendency inside of the church sometimes is to say, we have won when we took the five and taught them more about the Bible and taught them more about being religious. In this, what I think you're going to see is he's entrusted you with five so they could reach five more and they could reach five more and they could reach five more. And he reached two and like some of us just have two and that's okay because we don't have a big influence, but at least I took two and turned it into four. Or maybe it's just one. Like, I don't have a lot of people that I know, but I at least got one. And if I teach one to reach one more. Do you see that? Right? Do you see at the end of the day, inside of this, he would say to you, like, I've given you this opportunity. And here's the other part of it. I have heard this a thousand times from people, and I try to refute it over and over and over again, but I don't know why this is predominant inside of the church. But people will say to me, I can't reach people because I don't know enough about the Bible. <laughs> okay. They didn't have the Bible back then. They had the Torah, right? They could study the Torah. But again, at the end of the day, they didn't sit around in Bible study so that they could memorize everything so that they could reach people. Right? Here's what he told him. I've given you the people and I've given you the ability. Stop giving me excuses. Right? I gave you the ability. Don't tell me you don't have the ability to be able to do it. I've given you the ability to be able to do it. And what I love, 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 love inside of this. Do you know what's so great about this is that when he gives us an ability, it's not like anybody else's. Like I said this all the time as a preacher, you know, people compare you to everybody else. And I'm like, you know what I love? I'm not like any of them. Like, I love this fact that God gave me 
an ability to reach a certain group of people and have influence on a certain group of people. And I don't have to care about all of the other people. Like I have an ability, I'm gonna use the ability and the influence that he gave me and somebody else that he gave the ability to reach those other people, they're gonna do it. And I don't have to think through that and I can say, isn't it great that God uniquely designed me and I can just use my ability. Some people are way better at this some people are way better at that, but I have an ability and I have an influence and I'm gonna use it. And that's what he's saying to you. I created you with an ability from the beginning of time, since the beginning of when you were created, and when you gave your life to Jesus Christ and now the Holy Spirit lives in you, that ability is now unleashed. Anybody? Right, like that ability is now being unleashed for the purpose of doing what you can only do on this earth, reach people for Jesus Christ, right? That's what he's saying to us, and you know what you're gonna be held accountable for? You know what the judgment's gonna look like? You know what's gonna happen when he opens up the book? How'd you do? How'd you do, right? With what I gave you, how did you do? And what does it look like? So he's given us this precursor of what that looks like. Then he says this, knowing that he's entrusted people with us, knowing that we have an ability, what will we do about? What should our reaction be? It says, then the man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money and did nothing with it. So here's what I want you to see. What should your reaction be knowing that God gave you influence and God gave you ability to reach other people? What should you do? Here's what I want you to think about. You will not naturally reach lost people unless you have a plan. You know why I know this? Watch the church. This is what happens naturally inside of the church. Naturally, people reach people that are close to them, and then they run out of unsaved people to reach. The church peaks and then dies. You know why? Because once you've reached the natural people around you, you stop reaching people. Nobody. Right, I know, I mean, but that's just true, right? Like, well, I got this circle of influence and I know these certain people and I can give them the gospel or I can talk to them, I can invite them to church. And then when I'll be like, you need to invite people to church. I don't know anybody else, they're all here or they're already going to church. Okay, then get to know someone else. You know why you don't know anybody else? Because you don't have a plan. You're not gonna naturally get it done. You're gonna naturally focus on what is comfortable for you, right? You're just gonna naturally do what fits you, what fits your plan, what fits inside of your time schedule. Unless you have a plan to go outside of your circle of influence to gain another circle of influence or train those people that you have reached to go into their circle of influence, you're not going to get it done. When you're going to naturally happen, what happens in the American church all the time, you're the popular church where everybody came and they reached all their friends and after a while you're not popular anymore and they're going to another church and you're dying. Have you seen it? I mean, this happens all the time. You're up and people love you and it's all the church people that came and then they got focused on, the church got focused on trying to keep all the church people happy and then all they did was you know, work at the church people's needs and forgot all the lost people and then over time they all got old and died. The church ain't good anymore. 
I'm just telling you, this is reality. This is like what happens inside of the church when you lose the purpose of while you're still here. What you're gonna be held accountable for, which is people who don't yet know Jesus Christ. You have been given an ability. You have been given an idea. You know you're supposed to do this, but without a plan, you will naturally just be selfish. You will. You'll just naturally be selfish. Or you'll naturally be relational, but without the purpose of reaching people for Jesus. You know, it's not like, oh, I have a hundred relationships, I know, but like, are you multiplying them? Are they coming to know Jesus? Are you doing it with a purpose? Are you praying for those people when you meet with them? Right? Are you creating those environments? So he gives us the idea that we need a plan and also the idea that there's going to be a reckoning. Here's how he goes on and says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I'd harvest where I'd have not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I'd have received, uh, I would have received it back with interest. Now, a couple things to see here. So there is gonna be a reckoning, right? So there is gonna be a judgment. We all are gonna stand in front of there and we're gonna be judged based upon the accountability that we're getting, right? And with that accountability, what we did, how we multiplied, is based upon whether or not we have been faithful with the things that matter most, which is people who don't know Jesus, right? Don't, again, don't, don't lose focus on this. Like you gotta understand that part of your accountability is based upon whether or not you are reaching people for Jesus or training people to reach people for Jesus. What you're gonna be held accountable for is raising up an army of believers. So they said there's gonna be a reckoning, but he also gives you a warning inside of this. And this to me is a pretty stout warning. Do you know the third guy? So the third guy identified as a servant. Sound familiar? That the third guy identified Jesus as a master. Just like a lot of people in the church identify as Jesus as their savior. Now listen to me, right? They identify Jesus as my Lord and savior. But what they did with their life reflected that he was not Lord and Savior. Right? That's, what, that's the picture he's giving you. He's saying this person identified as a, like, Jesus is my master, but what did he do? You can see, I think this is the thing that we miss. Did he have any gross sins that we know of? Was there any gross sin for the third guy? Was there anything that he did that we'd been like, yeah, that guy deserves hell? 
You know why he was called a wicked and lazy servant? And as we're going to see, you know why he was kicked out and spends eternity in weeping and gnashing of teeth? It's because he identified Jesus as master and did nothing. That familiar with the American church? People who would identify Jesus as their master, Lord, and Savior, but live as if he's nothing. People that identify as Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but could care less about lost people. Like, I've never even understood that. I don't even know how you call yourself a believer when you don't care about other people that don't know Jesus. Like, I don't even know how that works, right? I don't know how you get to the place where you don't have the heart for the lost people, because everything we see inside of Scripture is have a heart for lost people. Right? Like, that's what he tells us. You need to have a heart for lost people. And what he says is, the condemnation of the third person was doing nothing. And just so we're on the same page, that too will be the condemnation of us, if that's what you choose to do. You can call Jesus Lord and Savior. You can say it with your mouth, but if your life does not reflect it, then what it shows is nothing has changed in here. Right, nothing has, you might think it up here, but nothing has changed inside of here. And because of that, we need to remember or we need to think about this whole idea of like, what's a reflection inside of our heart? Because here's how it works from the reward. Verse 28, he says to them, so take the bag of gold. This is back to Matthew. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever uh, has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So just real quick. So to do that, right, to take the five or to take the two to take the one and multiply it, I'm just telling you, you're gonna have to have a plan because you're not gonna naturally do it. So if you walk out of here with the hope of reaching people without a plan of doing it, you're probably not going to do it. So you have to, in your mind, be thinking through what in what I'm doing today and the abilities that God has given me, how am I going to use that as a plan to reach other people, right? How am I gonna take the people that God has given me influence with and raise them up to reach other people, right? Like, how am I going to do those things? What's going to be my plan? Like, I think for each one of us, right? It's the this same concept. And I've told you this, seasonally, for me, these things have changed, right? So seasonally, for me, I've tried different things. It started off as coaching pal football, and then it went to middle school football, and then I coached high school football, and then it went to horseback riding, and like, things where I'm gonna be with people who don't know Jesus, in the things that I'm doing with the purpose of trying to reach people for Jesus, right? So I came to this place. Now I'm going to be coaching football again, right? So I'm at this place where I'm going to be coaching, you know, fifth and sixth grade football, you know, over here for Northfield. And I'm like, do I really want to do this? Do I need one more thing to do? You know what I mean? Anybody that's got a lot of things going on, like, do I need one more thing to do in my life? But here's the deal. My sons don't know this yet, so the people who I'm going to ask to help me. <laughs> Isaac with his head down. But you see my point? Can I have a chance with fifth and sixth graders and their families that don't know Jesus because I'm going to take two nights out of my week to be able to help them? Like here's, and again, 
If I look at everything that I'm doing, I could make myself busy with anything. Amen to anybody, right? That's just a thousand things to do. You can make yourself busy with anything. But what's going to matter in the end? Building my wealth, building my business, or reaching people, right? And it's the things that we have to think about. So when I said that, and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Again, I had to filter it through this perspective. Is God giving me the opportunity to expand my territory to reach people that don't yet know Jesus? And if he is, you can't say no. Well, I mean, you can. You can be like the third servant. Right, You can talk again, but don't do anything about it. But anyway, it gives us that accountability, things that we have to have a plan for. So I have to have a plan of how am I gonna take this opportunity and use it for an influence for Jesus, right? What's going to be my plan? How am I gonna do those things inside of that, right? So now, here's the other part of it. So now, what is it then out of that that should naturally happen inside of us because of the change of our heart? That's where he goes next with the separation of the sheep from the goats. Verse 31 says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Jesus comes back, he's gonna judge. So Jesus is gonna be the judge. He's gonna you know, come back and he's gonna sit in his throne and he's gonna judge all people, which is what he says next. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So this is what we're talking about. Final judgment so the intermediate heaven, intermediate hell, and the people that are alive, everybody's gonna be gathered together and there's gonna be a final separation, right? That's what's happening right now. That's what Jesus is talking about. And all of those people are going to be separated based upon something, right? So he gives us, again, a picture. What's that going to be? Here's what he says. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will reply to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your what? your inheritance, right? And this is really important. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So here's what I want you to see. When he separated them, he separated them based upon their inheritance. They made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so because of that decision, they have an inheritance that they can claim. Does that make sense? Because of a decision they made. But here's what I want you to see. Nowhere in scripture do you ever see this. A person who made a one-time decision for Christ lived selfishly the rest of their life and gained an inheritance. But you hear it all the time in the church. I'm a Christian because I made a decision for Jesus when I was 10 years old. I don't do anything for him, care at all about him, care about lost people or not, but I know that I'm saved because I made a one-time decision. Is it true? Right? I mean, the scripture says, yes, it is a one-time decision, but the reflection of your life will reflect that decision. Does that make sense? The decision that you made will be reflected in the way that you spend your life. Now, will there be seasons of more selfishness and less selfishness? Yeah, there'll be seasons of all those things, but the majority of your life will reflect a heart change. I've done something about it. How I spend my time and the things that I do will be reflected because of those things, right? And that's what he says next. Here's what he says, right? The assurance, you want an assurance of whether or not you're saved? Here's the assurance, Right? You want to know that your one-time decision was real? Here's the assurance that he gives us. Your inheritance for this reason. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. So he says, you want an assurance of, of your salvation? These things can happen every day, but you'll have to go outside of yourself to get it done because you're not worried about those things in the lives of other people. You're worried about it yourself. Right, all of those things. And he says, again, and this is how we know it wasn't something that they were doing religiously when they say this, verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. What was the natural tendency for the person whose heart's changed? They didn't do it based upon religion. They did it because their heart was changed and they cared about other people. Do you see that? Right, they weren't like, oh, I know, yeah, you're right, I did that for you. No, I did it because my heart's changing. When I see other people hungry, I'm gonna give them food. When I see other people sick, I'm gonna take care of them. When I see other people in need, I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna get outside of myself. That's the natural tendency of all people who have given their life to Jesus Christ, right? This natural tendency to think about other people. Now, the worship team is gonna come back up and I want you to see what he says next though. Because here's what he says next. What he says next is there's gonna be this whole idea of these other people who again claimed that they were in the right place but the reflection of their life wasn't or what they did was not, right? And here's what he says and I want you to hear this. So then he will say to those on the left, depart, me, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Here's what he says. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. Right? And here's what I want you to see. This isn't one of those things like you were lustful and you went out and had, you know, committed adultery or you, you know, had this lifestyle of sin. What he says is, is here's something that's gonna be a reflection of your heart. You know what you're gonna naturally care about? Whether you and your circle are fed. That's what you're gonna care about, right? What you're gonna care about is this, these people around you, you're gonna be like, oh, you know, are you fed? And what he's saying is, so that when you saw somebody hungry, you just turned around because all you were gonna do is take care of the people that were in front of you. It would take something for you to intentionally say, you know what? Do you know how expensive food is right now? Do you know how hard it is just to fill your own refrigerator? So how much are we gonna be looking for opportunities to give food away? Unless you are, unless something's changed inside of you, unless your heart is different, you're gonna not naturally give away what you worked hard for to feed your family and the people around you. He says, that's gonna be the natural tendency of a person whose heart's not changed. Just take care of yourself. He says, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. He says, I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. You know what I said earlier, the problem with the church? The other problem with the church is, is the church is full of a bunch of cliques. People who know people and it's the only people they ever talk to is the people that they know. You know, he's saying like, yeah, I was a stranger and you invited me in and we're thinking like, that should happen inside of a Sunday morning all day long. But you know what happens? You talk to your people and a stranger could walk in and walk out and you'd never know them. You know why? Because you're busy talking to the same people you talk all week to. The stranger could walk in the door and you could care less. 
because you're too busy getting in, getting out, getting your stuff, doing your thing, that a stranger could say, I need the hope of Jesus. Walk into this room and walk out, and you don't care. Because you're too busy. I want to get in. I want to get out. I want anybody to see me. I got to get to lunch. I got to do, I got all these things going on. You know, I got my friend group that I need to sit in a circle with and I need to talk to. I don't have time for anybody else. If you're not doing it in the church where God is bringing strangers every single opportunity, are you really doing it in the world? Because the world isn't any different. You live in a clique out there too. You don't like strangers. Because <laughs> strangers aren't like you. Strangers aren't the people that are in your natural circle. And he's saying the heart of a believer is looking for strangers and inviting them in. You know why? It might be uncomfortable and it might be difficult and you might have to get outside of your circle, but at the end of the day, it's about Jesus and not about me. It's about reaching people for Jesus. So what are you going to do, right? Because we got to invite in a stranger. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You didn't look after me. And they all answered the same thing. When did we see you? Because they thought, well, if it's religious, we would have done it. If we would have saw you, we would have done it. He's saying, no, naturally, if you're a Christian, you're going to do these things. No one should have to tell you, there's Jesus, go do it, right? They shouldn't have to be at those things. Shouldn't have to have somebody tell you what to do. It shouldn't be religious. It's a natural tendency of all people who are saved to do those things. Now, I want to end with the story of Jim Elliott real quick. So Jim Elliott, if you've never read the book, Into the Spear, watch the movie Into the Spear, you need to. Right? Here was a guy that at the end of the day, he was kind of fed up with the local church, kind of fed up with everybody talking about reaching people for Jesus, but essentially all they did is come, sing, talk the big talk, and walk out and do whatever they wanted to do. So he's like, you know what I need to reach? And I feel like God's telling me to reach, you know, these, these Indian tribes. And if you watch the, the, the movie and, and read the book, I mean, there's a lot more to this, but he goes and he gives up everything and he goes over there to reach these people and ends up getting killed, right? And a lot of people are gonna be like, oh man, what a waste. But you gotta understand because of his obedience and everything that happened in the story, so many people will reach for Jesus Christ because of his obedience. And here's what he says, and this is what I wanna end with. Surely those who know the great passionate heart of Jehovah must deny their own loves to share in the expression of his. You know what the expression of God's love is? His people. Every man and woman created in his image. Consider the call from the throne, right? So from the throne of God, he calls us. Go ye from roundabout, come over and help us. And even, so we know from the story, and even the call from the damned souls below, send Lazarus to my brothers that they may not come to this place. Isn't that amazing? Like even hell's crying out, do something. Stop being selfish. Reach people for Jesus. We know what it's like. Don't let my brothers, don't let my sisters, don't let my friends come here. Crying out for us to do something about it. And then he then says, impelled then by these voices, I dare not stay home. Well, the key just perish. So what if the well-fed church in the homeland needs stirring? They have the scriptures, Moses and the prophets, and a whole lot more. The condemnation is written to the church in America. The condemnation is written on their bank books and then the dust on their Bible covers. American believers have sold their lives to the service of man and or money. 
And God has his rightful way of dealing with those who succumb to the spirit of Lacedonia. The lukewarm church, the people that talk the talk and do nothing about it, spits them out of his mouth. That's what he says to each one of us. So our question is, will you be found faithful? Will we, knowing that this is what we're gonna be held accountable for, what are you gonna do about it? And how are we going to live our lives and how are we gonna get outside of ourselves? Will you stand so I can pray for you? <coughs> Heavenly Father, we love you and we come to you, Lord, knowing that we have a responsibility while we're on this earth and we understand that there will be an accountability, a reckoning for how we spend our time, how we spend our resources and the things that we do. Lord, may you invade our hearts and invade, rip away all of the selfishness that's keeping us from, from doing the things that you call called to do. Lord, rip away all the lies and the deception and the things that are keeping us from, from seeing what truly matters most in this world. Don't let Satan deceive us into doing things that don't matter in the end. And Heavenly Father, most of all, may we be a vessel for you. May we have opportunities to reach people for you, Lord, and use us in those ways. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.
struck wonder at the mention of your name. And Jesus, your name is You know, after a message like this, or even preparing for it this week, I always have this sense of like, am I doing enough, right? Like, what else do I need to do? And where else do I need to, you know, invest? But here's what I love about the God that we serve, you know, and am I making a difference? Here's what I know. Wake up every day, be faithful, and the results will all be his, right? And we have a God that wants to multiply your efforts, but it starts with you. 
and it starts with me doing with our ability the things that he gave each one of us to do, and then he can multiply those efforts. The same with you guys that are online, whatever God is calling you to do. So we'll pray for that this week. So thanks, everybody, for joining us here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.